0: All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this.
1: The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. word prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Hey, you're tuned in to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to bands and musicians about what they've got up to between tours, between making records, and how they've gone about their business. And Mac McCorn of Superchunk of Merge Records of his own solo records is just the perfect person for this chat. He's been doing... All of that, taking control as an independent artist, as an independent record label, longer than I've been on this planet. And it's an absolute honor to speak to him. If anything, I'm a little bit out of my depth here. Mac's new solo record, The Sound Of Yourself, is coming out on the 24th of September. Go ahead and pre-order that from Merge. The first single, Dawn Benz, is out now. That's the track playing below this with John Worcester on drums. Yola Tango on instruments and it sounds amazing I'm sure you're as excited about the album as I am thank you so much for listening to 101 part-time jobs this is episode 114 lots to go back to lots coming up as always you can subscribe to get notified when I release weekly episodes usually on a Tuesday thanks for keeping up with this thanks for joining me I love doing it I love chatting to these amazing people and I hope you get as much out of these stories as I do East London's Signature Brew have been making beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Sports Team, Hot Shit, and so many more amazing artists that feature in our record collections. If you go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can get beers delivered directly to your door. And if you use the voucher code 101 podcast, all capital letters, at checkout, you can get 10% off your order. That's UK only. Cheers again for listening. Here's Mac McCon go well i grew up in punk rock bands and super chunk was a massive influence because you know one of the first things i think when you when you when you start reading about super chunk is is merge and those two are kind of you know synonymous and you know what Mm -hmm. does that what does that look like to reflect on now i mean obviously it's kind of your your full-time job now do you ever reflect on that
3: well, I mean, I think that whenever anyone, you know, like like you just now mentions that merge or super chunk, you know, has been an influence on them, or is how they got into punk or alternative music or 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 whatever, it's always super flattering, and you know, we because we started the band and the label from that same uh, standpoint as fans. You know, in other words, like we we were starting the label um, to try to not replicate, but do something similar to what our favorite labels had done for us, Uh, you know, which was like inspire us to make art and make music and and that kind of thing. So um, when we were starting, we were thinking about Discord or K Records or Teen Beat or um, Creation or you know, postcard or 4AD or whatever, you know, these are all labels that got us into music and had label identities in a way that made us really not just want to listen to certain records, but, but really wanted to know more about kind of like the culture that they came from, you know, you've been quite
0: resilient to do that from the start. What did it feel like that?
3: Uh, I guess it always just felt because because we were never trying to um do anything that felt forced or un- unnatural in terms of quote unquote going for it or something you know like it, the the label really grew and the band as well at kind of its own pace so um i think that you know one thing that always bugged me about um the way that the press treated independent music and independent labels and bands is is that there was this thing of like oh well like you don't you know why don't you want to sell more records or why don't you want to be big or something in terms of why wouldn't we sign to atlantic or sony or something like that you know um when they were all out looking for the next nirvana and our thing was always well of course we want to sell more records and every artists that we work with wants to reach as many people as possible. It's just more like, what are you willing to do to get there? You know what I mean? So I feel like, you know, we've been in a really lucky position to be able to put out records by artists that were doing exactly what they wanted to do and also reach a ton of people, you know, and I think about a record like 69 love songs by the magnetic fields. I mean, that's like such an audacious, concept and even we didn't realize how popular it would be but in the end it's you know it's it's sold hundreds of thousands of copies and um same goes for our biggest records like arcade fire and and spoon and things like that um but again also some things like neutral milk hotel which upon first hearing you would never think yes like this is going to be one of your best-selling records of all time you know the way a record's you know packaged i suppose or promoted or
0: what the press release reads like those are all things that affect the the release of a record right and that is going to be different between an independent label and a major label
3: i guess uh, yeah i mean certainly i feel like we there well but there's there's also some indie labels that if you read their press releases you would think that they're a major label you know everyone doesn't have the same aesthetic or kind of uh public facing voice in that way you know um does that even make sense public facing voice anyway right, t- totally totally because I,
0: I think i mean i think especially it's kind of put in our face now with social media that you know whatever we say gives us a standpoint in a way
3: yeah and i think that and i think that people who are music fans and people who are fans of artists Some and other similar labels have a pretty sensitive bullshit meter in terms of Like, you know, when someone's doing their own social media or when a publicist is doing their social media, you know, like, and, and I don't, I don't follow, I don't, if I'm on Twitter, I don't want to follow an artist, even if I love that artist's music. If I feel like all I'm doing is being sold something, you know, by that, by their social media feed, you know.
0: Is that something that you've had to battle with because... You know, some friends run labels and I do understand the pressure. You know, you don't have to be friends with someone to understand the pressure of running an independent label. You know,
3: a label's job is to sell things, right? It means to promote an artist's music and get things out there. So that's bound to be promotional and that's our job. But, But as far as artists go, like I prefer to have an artist that has a personality when I'm interacting with them, you know.
0: I feel like Merge has done a really good job of reconciling those two things.
3: I mean, we're, I mean, that's, it's a constant conversation, you know, Um, and we're very aware and everyone who works at Merge is very aware of both the platform that Merge has, but also the fact that we're representing a bunch of different artists and um, everyone doesn't want to be represented in the same way or promote their music in the same way. Um, but also we have a 30 plus year history of being Merge records. And if we started doing things that felt out of character with that and in, in the direction of just purely commercial nonsense, then I think that, like I said, I think people have a pretty sensitive um, bullshit for that. But there's a, there's a nuance there, isn't there? That I th- surely there's a lot of gray area. I think that we err on the side of um being non-promotional for lack of a better word just because you know we don't want an artist that we're working with or our fans to be like well that's kind of like a a gross way to sell that thing or you know like obviously like like i said we start the label as fans and continue to be music fans and fans of other labels and bands and we don't ever want to feel like we're being ripped off or Mm. you know sold a bill of goods so um especially in an era of a million different versions of each record colored vinyl limited editions all these things like we're very we try to be very sensitive and again different bands have different approaches but like we try to be very sensitive to not um punishing people who didn't happen to be online at a certain time or, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, um, I don't know who, who happened to be the first ones to buy our record and then coming out with something special three months later or whatever. Like, you know, I mean, that was kind of, to me, like a weird thing in the CD era of people releasing deluxe versions of an album, um, six months after the original or something, I don't know with like a whole, a whole new, bonus disc and all this stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, You know, if you bought the first time around, you'd be basically penalized.
3: Right. So, I mean, we were talking about Waxahachie earlier and we're celebrating the one year anniversary of St. Cloud, which came out, you know, almost a year ago. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, they never got to tour or do any of that stuff. Um, but we will be, uh, like I said, kind of like celebrating one year anniversary of a record that so many people connected with, and were so happy to have during, to listen to during this, during this last year, you know? Have you, have you had
0: moments over your career, you know, whether it be super Chunk or the label, have there been times or, or, or sort of particular moments where you've had to restock or kind of have to refocus what you're doing?
3: Um, I don't know about re- refocusing, but I mean, I think that we're, like I said, the, there's conversations that we're constantly having about what kind of label are we, are we doing the best job for our artists? Um, and if we're not, like, what can we do differently? And, and I think that it's, um, you know, the biggest, the best thing about having a label like Merge is the artist that we get to work with. And they are some of the best source of information and kind of wisdom about what we're doing, you know. Because um, we started the label as artists, but that was a long time ago, and so you know, the, the it's always good to keep having these conversations with both the you know artists like Lamb Chop that we've been working with from almost the very beginning, as well as you know. Um, artists that we, that we just started working with recently. You know, I think that that's, it's, it's constant conversations about what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, because I don't think that you can just start doing something one way and then just never change, never, never change it or never learn. And, and, you know, we, we do things in a, I'd say in like a slow way, we're not, we're never going to like turn on a dime, you know what I mean? But, um, but I think that, uh, hopefully the artists we work with know that we're always here to have conversations about their records and, and merge. And, you know, we, we love having those conversations.
0: Cause I get a lot of the bands that we're talking about and have been on this show or bands who are in the van on a, on a normal year, um, yeah. you know, four or five or more people, uh, in that van having different conversations every day and you can see I mean you must know better than anyone how bands find it difficult or end up breaking up or end up you know having internal problems and I find that fascinating and I think it forces you to
3: have to be open-minded right it does and and again like we feel like there's a way that merge works and that it has worked for us and for the bands on the label. But at the same time, I I think that it's, it's important for us to also occasionally step back and realize that not everyone, including bands on merge has the same exact outlook or way of thinking about things. And, um, it's good to kind of take into account everyone's expectations and everyone's ways of, of doing things. And, um, yeah, and it's you know and this last year has been wild, and people have reacted in different ways. You know, some artists we work with have been super productive in that time, um, and made amazing records that are going to come out this year. Mm. Um, and I know that for other artists, it's really hard because touring is the way that they get their word out about what they're doing. You know, and that's that's been really brutal in some bands.
0: We were talking about the raining sound on email before this, and that record just sounds amazing.
3: That's really, I'm really excited for people to, to hear that. And, um, and, you know, like with pretty much all the artists that we work with, I'm really excited to see them live sometime in the future, yeah. hopefully.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, but, but yeah, Greg has, I mean, he's always writing classic songs and so it's, it's super exciting to get a new, a new reigning sound record.
0: Does it, do you feel that pressure? I mean, I know we talked a lot about how treating bands differently. Is there pressure on, on you personally? Do you take much pressure on your own shoulders? Is is it, or is it sort of spread out throughout the team and you and Laura and, and other people working on Merch, you know, just the general pressure of the fact that you've, you've designed your own, you know, employment.
3: Yeah. I think that everyone at the label takes responsibility for, um, for what we're doing, you know, and, um everyone you know wants what the artists obviously to succeed that we're working with and it's not like we're such such a big company or put out so many records that um that you could afford to just not be invested in some of them you know like Mm -hmm. everything that we um put out is something that we love and um and that we have to get behind so uh, I think that everyone who works at Merge shares that, and, and which is great because, um, you know, especially when we've all been working from home and separate from each other, it's amazing to be able to ask different people, like, what's going on with this record this week or what happened with that radio session or what's going on um, with the, you know, the new pressing of this of this reissue that we're doing or whatever mm-hmm. and be able to get, answers from everyone around the label, even though we can't be in the same room, to, room together. Yeah. Um, but it's really, it really shows how, um, how focused they are on, on the, again, like helping every, everything that we put out succeed. You know. Do you remember the first time that you realized, you know, you were, you were a boss, <laughs> you
0: know, that you had people that you were in charge of?
3: Yeah. Those are like, not the, those are my, maybe my least favorite moments of having, of having a record label. Um, the uh, But, but like, and, and, you know, to, to your last question also, of course, Laura and I do feel personally responsible because everything, everything we're putting out is something that we wanted to sign and we wanted to work with, you know what I mean? And mm, mm. Um, not every record becomes, you know, what you think it should. Um, and there's records like, from this last year jade hairpins and sweet spirit um the hc mcintyre record you know albums that uh, if those you know bands were were touring for this time i think a lot more people would have heard those amazing albums um it's it was almost exactly a year ago that torres had just started touring for silvertongue and got maybe two weeks into a tour in europe um was having amazing shows and then all of a sudden had to get on a plane and come home you know I love so that I, I was trying to learn German my girlfriend's German and I was
0: on Duolingo and yeah. I got a a Jade Hairpins advert on Duolingo oh you did
3: yeah oh that's wild did you know about that no I didn't I mean I've used Duolingo before but I don't remember getting an ad for anything like a like an album or something you know? it was
0: great because I was like this artwork can't be something like from yeah this yeah. artwork's kind
3: of cool the last show that I went to, which was literally like one or two days before the lockdown went into effect here, was Destroyer um, at the Cat's Cradle here in Carborough, North Carolina. And it's an amazing show. And again, like every show on that tour seemed like it was great. Um, and I'm really glad that that record, um, Have We Met, came out. So they could at least do you know in time for them to do some shows and in time for people to have that record to listen to all year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just one more record that I feel like you know, along with Caribou and Saint Cloud and pretty much everything that I just you know you have one idea about how a year is going to go, <laughs> um, and yeah. you're picturing seeing Caribou like you know headlining a festival somewhere, and then instead you're you're at home all year, and and it's 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 heartbreaking for those for those artists but at the same time i feel like everyone has been super um if not stoic very just kind of like positive outlook about about everything as much as possible you know and and um looking forward to things slowly but surely hopefully getting better you know this year
0: that's a really good point as well you know the fact you you didn't know what was going to happen and it makes me think being in Superchunk that must have kind of you know, not knowing where you're going to be in six months. That's been your life, you know, the majority of your life at this point. Yeah.
3: I've been talking to friends in, well, in, in London and in New York and Los Angeles. And it's, it's, it's so interesting. Um, I mean, in some ways I'm really like, can't complain because everyone at Merge has been able to do their jobs from home to the best of their abilities. Um, our bands have been great. I have a little home studio in our basement where I'm talking to you from now. I've been able to to work on music, and um, we've all been healthy. Like we, you know, I can't really complain about the last year. Yeah. But at the same time, when I like you're saying, when you look back at, at an entire year where, you know, it's the longest that I've gone without um, seeing my parents or having gone to New York or having been to Los Angeles to see a band there, like whatever, like all these things, like there hasn't been a year since 1985, probably that those things have happened, you know, wow. haven't happened. So it is uh, something that probably we won't really have a perspective on or be able to process for a while, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that part of me doesn't really want to look back at it so much in that way. Cause I'd rather just keep, keep moving, keep moving forward and out of this whole thing. You know,
0: that seems like quite a good solution, not just for now, but it, it, in general, working in such a, uh, a I guess, time sensitive creative industry where, you know, you're looking at what's going on now and you're looking ahead, you know, not being able to look behind because maybe you'll miss what's in front of you. You know what I mean? Maybe you'll trip up. And,
3: and, you know, we, you know, we have bands that are have big plans, you know, for the next year and a half. And, you know, we can't lose sight of, we can't lose sight of that. So we're kind of doing two things. Like we're like, I I feel like we're still promoting and trying to make people aware of stuff that has come out during this pandemic and during the lockdowns, you know? Um, So, because I know that people missed some great records, but at the same time um, we're looking forward to this spring and summer and fall and, into the next year already with terms of setting release dates and um and we're getting records from people that are finishing amazing albums and i can't wait for people to hear them uh so it's i mean that that's kind of the position that we're always in in terms of moving forward but not assuming that a release is quote unquote done with because people are still always finding out about the records that have come out you know um but but it's because maybe even more extreme version of that right now.
0: Right. And that's an interesting thing because we mentioned like the rock press earlier. And if there's one thing the rock press loves is this, you know, every band has to be new. There has to be something new about it. Yeah.
3: I think that, um, and you know, we're, we're lucky to, as a label, have people supporting our bands and buying records from us that have been doing that since 1989, you know, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think a band like Lamb Chop is an amazing example of a band that we've been working with, you know, for 30 years and they have a new record that sounds nothing like anything they've ever done. And it still sounds like Lamb Chop and um, it's new, but it's a band that we've worked with for a long time. And I think that our fans are good at not, you know, at being able to um, do both things. Like, yes, they're excited about, new stuff that we're putting out and bands that Mm -hmm. they haven't heard of, but also supporting um, bands that they've been following for a long time and not just being focused on like what's next, you
0: know. I look at Lamb Chop, I can't help but think what they do as a a job between tours. You know, I kind of imagine bar work or working at a fishing shop or something. How often do you chat to the bands and artists that you work with about, you know, about their personal situations? Because at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's a big part of it, right?
3: Yeah. And I think that that's been a real struggle this year to keep in touch with people, even though, yes, we're all at home and we all have email and cell phones or whatever. But um, I feel like in some ways the days and weeks just kind of blurred into, <laughs> blurred into one and time could in some ways fly by and you realize like, oh my gosh, like I haven't talked to this person in two months because I'm not going out. I'm not going to see their band. I'm not running into them in a bar or in a record store or whatever, you know? Um, but, uh, but, you know, someone like Kurt from lamb chop, I feel like he's always working. He's always writing, always seems to be recording. Um, he, uh, I text with him or email with him, um, about different, different projects all the time. And, um, you know, we try to be in touch with everyone that we can be, like I said, you know, not living in the same place as so many people. It's, um, you know, you're you're not always in the tam- same same t- time time zone, literally or figuratively. Mm.
0: Do, do you remember the first time that you realized, like, merge? You know, is your job was was it when you set up a a public limited company?
3: No, I think you know it's funny because my dad's an attorney, and so very early on, even before we probably needed to, he was like, "You should be a you know, you need to incorporate or something." Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> we did that years before we ever like paid ourselves or anything. So um, I think that really super chunk became our job before merge did in the sense of like actually paying our rent. And meanwhile merge was growing, but we were because we were on tour a lot, we were hiring people to be at merge. And so we weren't paying ourselves for merge Mm. Um, and we didn't, pay ourselves from merge until probably 10 years into the label or something like that um maybe maybe seven or eight years in i can't remember but anyway so like merge wasn't really like our job in that sense um for for quite a while but whenever we weren't on tour we were working there and doing the, the label and um when we were on tour as well but It's hard to really imagine now the idea that you had to stop at a payphone (laughs) Um, uh, to like call into the label or to call to do a phoner when we were on tour, you know, in the early mid 90s. Um, It's just weird to imagine a world without cell phones. But that's that was the world. Did you find that hard giving away
0: uh, that delegation of the merge, you know, the record label work, you know, even if there's someone you, you know, really well and trust, that must have been a kind of weird thing.
3: Uh it was definitely weird, though. It's also, you have to remember, you know, we didn't have that many releases and um, it just wasn't as, there weren't as many moving parts, I guess I would say.
0: Growing up where like where you were, age 17, 18, I, I read a quote on Pitchfork about how you kind of, um, there was one moment where you realized you could either queue up uh, to get tickets for a talking head show or you could go to a, uh, you know, a, a free hardcore show what was was that a kind of a pinnacle I read that as a kind of a, a kind of a bit of a light bulb moment uh
3: well I mean I think I don't, I don't remember what I was saying but I guess to me the cool thing was living where we live like not in a metropolis or something you know we're we're in the south and slightly off the beaten path even though a lot of bands played here um I think that the the cool thing was that anything that was alternative was interesting to us and we wanted to get into it and, and be a part of it. And so whether that was again, talking heads and I remember, yeah, getting in line to buy talking heads tickets. It was the, um, it was the speaking in tongues tour. So it was the tour that they filmed stop making sense on. Um, they're playing at the gymnasium at, um, university of North Carolina here. And, um, And so I I must have skipped school to get in line because we were, it was like daytime and we're like waiting in line, that weird thing. Again, hard to imagine now you couldn't just go online and buy tickets, but uh, stay in line to get tickets for that. I mean, that was an amazing, I mean, that was definitely one of the best concerts I've ever seen, but also very different from an all ages hardcore show, you know, going to see black flag probably the same year or something at, the, at the the brewery, a, a club here that had all ages matinees. But to us, like they were, because they weren't, because both of those things were like new to us and, you know, kind of out of the mainstream, they were both equally interesting, you know, and there wasn't so much um a, well, if you're into this, you can't be into this, right you know, yeah. it was like anything that was, artistic or interesting or alternative or cool. Like we wanted to know about it, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think that that's both um, a function of just being that age, because when you're 14 or 15 or 16 years old, like you're just excited about like whatever. And we were excited about music. Um, But also a function of that time period. um, When, as opposed to now, for instance, where I feel like now, it's much more likely that people are like funneled into like a, um, a, a niche or like down a tunnel in a certain direction, as opposed to just kind of being like wide open and finding out about stuff. You know,
0: I was trying to look at sort of which anniversaries of records were happening this year and next year. And if you Google, if you search for any rock or pop records throughout the late eighties and nineties, there's some gold in there. You know, there'll be like five most amazing records in one year and it, you know, I don't want to look back at Rose, in rosy glasses or whatever, but you know, it did seem like that alternative music culture was was pretty wide. That net was wide.
3: I think it was wide. Again, I think especially if you were young and not so worried about, like in other words, I think if you were living in London in during the time of the new romantics and you were going to see, and you like, you know, your favorite band was Spandau Ballet or something like that. You probably weren't also going to see Black Flag, but here that wouldn't have been that weird because it was just like, Hey, like we, we live in North Carolina. Like we'll take whatever weird shit we can find. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Co- and college radio is the same way, you know, like that you could hear a- a- any of that stuff. Um, on college radio next to each other. Uh, and I think that that's maybe a uniquely American, um, thing. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, but it was, but it's definitely fun to look back at club schedules and, you know, college radio playlists, um, and things like that for sure
0: totally. I grew up going to the Astoria, which is a sort of probably around thousand cap venue in Tottenham Court mm-hmm. Road. You know, it's been leveled out now to make a train station. But, you know, looking through those listings at the time was amazing. Looking back now is even cooler. You know, we didn't have college radio. So, you know, that's something that British people have had to basically just read about. But I just thinking now, you know, did college radio, do you think have an have enough impact in the way that, you saw music, the facts that there could be a kind of a subversive model of alternative music that didn't have to be major label, even though the major labels wanted to get in with the, with the student radio stuff.
3: Sure. And, and, you know, some of what we were hearing on college radio is obviously on major labels. Um, but, um, but I think that what was great about it was that, um, it was, if you turned on, you know, the WXDU or WUNC, the local Duke and UNC radio stations, you're hearing stuff presented to you as like, this is all equal. Like if I'm playing, you know, if I'm playing a corrosion of conformity song and then the next song I'm playing is Tommy Keen, like those are both things that are coming out on local labels and I'm presenting them to you as being equally good because they're all, you're hearing them all in the same radio show, you know? Yeah. Um, That's so important. And it's kind of like a leveling thing. And if you're young enough to not be too hung up on what's cool, you're just like, oh, well, I'm listening to all of this with the same, I'm not going to like all of it, but like I'm listening to it all with the same kind of sense of openness. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So like we would listen to those stations and then they'd say like, oh, rain parade is coming to the cat's cradle and be like, oh my gosh, like that song is amazing. And then again, the next week would be like, oh the dickies are coming like we're gonna go see them you know it was just it was just like all different stuff kind of mixed up together and we liked it all um equally or you know we didn't like it all but i'm saying the stuff that we were into we didn't matter really what the genre was you know WXDU is the Duke station and WXYC is the UNC, the University of North Carolina station. And then there's um, KNC, which is the NC State radio station. Um, then there's the um, a radio station for North Carolina Central, which is in Durham. And these are all schools that are within like 20 miles of each other, and they all have amazing radio stations. And at the time they had like different kind of personalities. Like one was more metal. The um, Carolina Central station was like more like jazz influenced. And then Duke and UNC kind of played like all over the map. Um, and, uh, but it was just like, for us, it was just like the source, you know. And that
0: you've spoken about this. You've been on the kind of, you've been on the witness stand for this, right? Talking about radio. Yeah,
3: that's true. That's true. I, uh, that was a while ago, but I went to, up to be on a panel that talked to Congress about media consolidation, basically. Um, what's the, yeah. what's
0: the, the kind of bare bones of that? What was that conversation about?
3: It was essentially, um, I, gosh, I can't remember the name of the actual like um, legislation, but it was basically um, trying to fight back against rules or deregulation, really, that would allow one corporation or one media group to own multiple newspapers, radio stations, TV stations within one market. In other words, just basically like eliminating voices um, eliminating multiple voices from the, from the playing field really. Um, and then that, and sometimes it also involved buying radio, to sta- pe- you know, companies would buy radio stations just to maybe even take them off the air, but own that air space, you know, um, or, or, or buy a radio station that they didn't really care about necessarily, but if they, if they bought a bigger transmitter, then that would prevent other stations from broadcasting in that same, um, bandwidth. If that makes any sense, I'm not really good at talking about the technical side of it, but, but essentially, um, you know, Sinclair is like one of the most obvious examples of this as like a nefarious force in American media, owning multiple radio stations and TV stations and newspapers. Um, all kind of broadcasting the same like conservative right-wing kind of propaganda you know but if they own all the stations how are you gonna hear anything else you know
0: yeah who's, and who's gonna stop them right
3: yeah and so um i think that the uh it this this was coming from a both a, a political point to that you know sinclair example but also an artistic point of view from uh you know having radio stations that are that are playing different types of music within one market as opposed to one company buying all the stations and they're all playing top 40 yeah. or mainstream you know whatever and you know as as much as you can you know today's bandcamp friday um and bandcamp is a great platform for us for selling records and for artists even artists that aren't on labels at all um and it's fun to kind of you know, you can find almost anything on there in terms of types of music that you're looking for. Um, But like all parts of the internet, it's really difficult to kind of comb through and find stuff that's like, or how, like the the best stuff, I don't know, like the stuff that's going to, you're going to connect with the most, you know, because it's almost like there's just too much, which is why I like listening to the radio because, you know, I can drive around listening to college radio station and just, every song I'm like, oh my God, like what is this? And I'll shazam it or just, you know, call in or wait for them to back announce their set. And um in some ways like I maybe it's just old fashioned of that being a way to like receive information and to find out about things, but it's easier in some way than someone sitting you down and being like, here's the internet. Find th- find the things you like or whatever. Because it's just it's like dropping you in the middle of the ocean you know totally i listened to six
0: music for that and you must know about six music yeah i mean they've sure. got like mark riley gideon co like, steve Lamac, of course like steve Lamac's a legend you know what i mean like yeah. you know he, he like, had the first plays of like sultans of ping maybe or like coldplay you know he had the first play of i want to encourage friends to listen to six music more because you find out so amazing stuff
3: Well, when you're talking about people who have real histories with the music, you know, like Steve Lamack was a name that we were hearing when we first started touring over there in the early nineties, you know, and Mark Riley was in the fall and the yeah. creepers. So like when I hear the name Mark Riley, I mean, that takes me back to being in high school and knowing who that guy was. So if he's got a radio station, of course, I'm going to want to know what he's listening to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um So, uh, it, you know, that, that's, again, to me, it's like, if if you have a connection with the person whether it's a a DJ or whether it's a record label, and then you trust their judgment on things, then that's a great place for me anyway, to like Mm. listen and like discover things.
0: It's a good Northern star, isn't it? And all like, you know, a direction. And I I think think that's quite hard for bands now to have a a, a direction. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's always been hard for bands. I'm not sure. But during those, you know, those, those early European tours, Did did it, did it feel like it was happening quite quickly for you? I mean, you talked about how merge, you know, is a, is a, is a slow thing. And it sounds, you know, like really positive in that, in that sense, because you get to look around you and make the right decisions. Is that, was that a similar thing for super chunk?
3: Yeah, I think it was in the sense that, you know, like our first tour over there was awesome, but we were opening for mud honey. So that was bound, that was bound to be pretty good. Like we were lucky that we were getting to open for them because they had already toured over there many times. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, our first big show in London, uh, uh, was probably headlining Yulu. And that was like a big thing, big deal, obviously, because I had, I had been to Yulu as a, like a college student to see, see bands when I was just over there on, you know, like traveling around. Um, and I knew it was a big deal and I'd read, you know, I read the music paper. So I knew the bands that play there. So like, that was, um, It did feel like, whoa, this is wild, you know, but at the same time, like we kind of had already been touring over here for a long time playing sometimes great shows, sometimes shows to nobody. So it didn't feel like an overnight kind of thing. And at the same time, we also read enough of music papers to know that, well you could be headlining you, this tour and then the next tour, you know, no, no one's going to have a good thing to say about you. So right. we, we were, we were like, I think pretty realistic about how, how that worked, you know, it was still wild to get to play Reading and Glastonbury in that era and in front of like more people than we ever had played to over, over here.
0: And were you working, you know, working jobs between those tours? Was it a bit touch and go or were were you always pretty confident that you could survive?
3: You know, when you're 23 years old or whatever, like you're pretty, you're pretty like, um, living, living low cost, you know, like not paying a lot in rent and you don't have, you don't have a lot of overhead when you're in in your early twenties. It's in a town like Chapel Hill anyway. And so you know, we would come home from those tours and go back to jobs that were um, very flexible and cool with us going on tour and then coming back and usually giving us our jobs back, whether that was working in the pizza place or um, Kinko's, which was like a, you know, like a photocopying shop or the record store, um, school, school kids records. Um, like we had those kinds of jobs, you know, that were, like I said, like their are businesses in a college town they're used to people coming and going in some ways right. and also like we i think got lucky with who our bosses were in the sense that they they were just flexible and 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 cool with us you know
0: and i think that pressure has got to be one that that can you know destroy new artists new bands especially For if sure. you you know you get the idea to move to new york or philadelphia or london's basically impossible to find a job
3: I, yeah i don't know how anyone survives as an artist in those cities, which I love those cities, but I mean, they're so expensive. Um, and yeah, the pressure's gotta be intense. You know,
0: if you had an artist that was like, you know, fuck, I'm having like a really tough time. You can see how that could be an issue.
3: Oh yeah. I mean, we have artists that are based in, in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco. And, um, so we know how hard it is, but you know, I think that, those cities are also places where great art has come from. And I think that there's, you can see why, why someone would see the value in living in those places. Cause they're amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah, if you can figure out, if you can figure out a way to do it. Was there
0: ever the allure to, to, you know, take a, take a big advance? Was that ever like a serious conversation you had with each other?
3: I mean, we would have the conversation, but I don't think we ever had it. We never had it in a way that got us to a point where we said, "Okay, like write down a number and show us like what you're really talking about." Because yeah. for us, there was we we both had all the examples that we liked in terms of independent labels and lab- bands on labels like the kind we were trying to create. And we also had examples of bands that had signed to major labels and then nothing good happened after that. So there was no example of like well look you know look what happened with this band like it was the perfect move for them and everything was great after that I mean and people would sometimes say sonic youth or something but it was so clear that if you say sonic youth you're talking about like a once in a lifetime band like that's Mm. that's you're talking about the unicorn that managed to like make weird great music and be on a major label and still continue to flourish or whatever yeah. Um, and there was so many more examples of times that went the opposite way that outweighed, you know, that outnumbered that example. So it was not really ever super tempting to us. I suppose, you
0: know, to me, it appears it's like taking your future into your own hands, you know, by you know, making things happen yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. and there's a lot of energy that goes into sorting your own shit out.
3: Yeah. But when you're 20 years old, you have a lot of energy. Yeah. So, you know, you're still close to that age. I'm just, I'm just saying like at at, at that time, it's not like you thought, oh gosh, how are we ever going to do another tour in a van? Like that was just like what we knew how to do, you know? So that, that, that was not like a really the, that wasn't really the conversation. You know? Was there, Did you look at a record in Super Chunk's
0: discography and you think that was the record, you know, we, things changed up a little bit or we became a little bit more stable in the way that we'd look at the future?
3: Mm, I mean, I don't know because I felt like people were already kind of like quote unquote, like getting us with the second album, which is no Pocky for Kitty. I don't think it's our best record or anything, but I just mean like the reception was so strong to that. And we could have at least in America, like really good shows all over the country. And that was the tour that we, came to the UK for the first time and Europe for the first time, and we're having good shows there. Um, So that was pretty early on in terms of, um, and then things just kind of kept growing from there, you know? I mean, I think our sound changed the most probably on Foolish in terms of from the record before. Mm. Um, But uh, I think the only record that we ever had any kind of like commercial radio support over here was here's where the strings come in and they played hyper enough as like a single, you know Um, which again, to me doesn't really sound that different than our other records, but that just happened to be like the timing and the song and everything where um that worked out. So that probably exposed us to some people that weren't even listening to college radio. We never did anything too drastic. You know what I mean?
0: After foolish, did you think, oh, it'd be great if, you know, we had that kind of success for the next record.
3: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it was just more we just kept making the records we were making and when we made Here's Where the Strings Come In, uh, it maybe had a bigger drum sound or something, or that yeah. song in particular just led uh Corey at Touch and Go, I think is who suggested like, you know, like we should try to maybe like work this as a single to commercial rock radio and we were like, Okay. And you know, the other bands on there at that time were probably the Lemonheads or um pavement stuff like that so like maybe there was some small opening there for kind of alternative bands on that but really even then if you turned on the type of radio station that you're hoping to get on and listen to what else they're playing you just kind of go yeah this isn't really <laughs> like this isn't really for us yeah. but you know just one, one every once in a while something kind of like breaks through you know totally Totally.
0: Well, Mac, I don't want
3: to, you know, keep
0: you much longer, but you know, thanks so much for being up for this. I realize it's a bit of a, it's, it's it can get a, It's a bit of a, a deep conversation of sorts, right? It's,
3: it's kind of wide ranging, yeah.
0: It's kind of personal as well. So, thanks for being up for it. Um, for sure. But I, I mean, you know, look with the, look the, I mean, the music industry always changing, and you know, have it wanting to be on top of that, and and you know, how how do you look going forward? How how what what kind of you know, what, what's your ideal kind of standpoint? I mean, obviously you've got so many years behind you doing this. Is it doing more of the same?
3: Well, I think it's, I think it's again, kind of doing more of the same, but always being open to learning how to do it better, you know? Mm. Um, And we're, you know, we're putting out, you know, records this, this year that include, like we talked about a new raining sound album. That's uh, amazing. As well as an album by Don Richard, who's an artist from New Orleans, um, that doesn't sound like anything the merge has ever put out. And, you know, we want to there's something a little scary about that because you don't want to let down an artist that you've signed, but you want and so you're 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 every day thinking about like, let's make sure we can do as good a job with this Dawn record as we can with a raining sound record or a lamb chop record, you know. Um, and so that, you know, again, requires a lot of like examination and thinking and trying to figure out what's what's something that we've never done before that would maybe work with this record, you know. Um, and I think that one thing that we've seen from the pandemic is that, you know, it was a really strong year for people buying music. I mean, people were home with a lot of time on their hands, I know I listened to more of my record collection than I have probably in years because I'm sitting next to it all day instead of coming home at the end of the day, you know? And so, uh, I think a lot of people were sitting home just being like, you know, wanting to maybe either reconnect with their music that they've always loved or hadn't listened to in a long time, or just learning about new stuff because they have more time to do it. And, um, people are buying a ton of records, you know, but, pressing plants are like log jammed because people can't press enough records to sell to people, which is as a record label, that's a great, that's great news, you know? Um, and So it's a matter of how do you keep connecting with those people so they don't kind of fade away once everyone kind of goes back to quote unquote normal, whatever that means. Um, and how do you, like I said, kind of make sure those people know like, Hey, like we do this all the time not just when you're stuck at home because because of a pandemic, you know? So um, don't forget about where your record store is and where, you know, where our, where, where the Merge website is or whatever um, when you go back to your normal job. And, and
0: and is that like, you know, obviously there's a lot to think about there, you know, getting Superchunk in there as well, like writing and thinking about a new record or maybe, re, I guess, reissues as part of the label. But is it it's kind of like a 70-30 split between how much you're thinking about and planning with merging the bands,
3: mm. yeah, just because I think super chunk tends to happen in bursts. In other words, like we'll make a record and then tour for that record, and so obviously very busy during that time period. Mm. Um, but it's always in the background. And you know, um, being at home and having a studio here at the house has made it possible this year to you know I I couldn't write any songs for about the first five months of the lockdown, but then started getting. Um, more into the, into the practice of, of making music at that point. And, um, this is the 20th anniversary of Here's to Shutting Up. So, um, we're figuring out some reissue plans for that record finally. And, um,
0: Great
3: to hear. and again, you know, trying to work on new music as well. So, well, Matt, thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Take care
0: so there he is Matt McCann of Super Chunk Merge Records of his own volition thank you so much for listening to 101 Part Time Jobs do subscribe if you want to get notified for future episodes here's Cox Barra I've been working all day for me mate on the side running around like a blue ass fly I've been working yeah I've been working all day for me mate
2: At Luckylandslots.com. Available to players in the US, excluding Washington, and Michigan. No purchase necessary. BGW group Void were prohibited by law eighteen plus terms and conditions apply.